This is Face the Music, an electric light orchestra song-by-song podcast. And I'm Eric Winsenson. Okay, you know the gist of the bonus tracks episode. We read selected comments here, the ones that require some extra production, for people to pick up what they're talking about. If you don't hear your comment here, you should go to our YouTube channel, the Electric Light Orchestra Podcast channel. And every week we do a Zoom cast, and that's where we read the rest of the comments. So, first up, a comment about Wilf's solo. Mike Hudson says... Nice solo. Of course, that's not all I'm going to say. I've often pondered which one was actually the better violinist. Will for Mick. Yeah, I know that's sacrilege among Super 7 fans. But Will sure played a mean fiddle. His solo on Kiyama is phenomenal. As is the one on Roll Over Beethoven. Even the one we actually got on Mountain King. Although I recently read a rumor that said that was Mick on Mountain King. But I had always heard Side 2 as Wilf with Mick on Side 1. Who knows? Either way, all great fiddling. Always wondered how later albums would have sounded with Wilf rather than Mick. But don't get me wrong, I love Mick's work as well. Not a whole lot more I can say. And for Surrender, Aaron Jansen said, From my understanding, Surrender was written for a movie that was never made. The Beatles' In My Life features what some may believe is a harpsichord. But 
what it actually is, is George Martin slowed down the tracks and played the piano to the time of the slowed down tracks. Once all of the tracks were brought back to speed, the piano sounded like a harpsichord. I believe they did this because a harpsichord wasn't available to them. Could Jeff have done the same thing? Or maybe he was just using a synth? The band Klaatu did this technique a lot too, especially when they brought in an instrument that wasn't in the right key for the song. They would just speed up or slow down the tracks to record, and when brought to the correct speed again, the instrument was then in the correct key. Geniuses of the analog era. I really recommend Klaatu's 347 EST and Hope albums. To me, they're pretty dang close to ELO, but have their own unique sound. Not that I play much on the piano, but playing the harpsichord is almost identical to playing piano, but it has a different feel and has to be approached a little differently, just as one would approach the organ differently. But yeah, Surrender is awesome. Loved it through and through. Doesn't it make you wonder what else Jeff is sitting on? The trouble is, there's demo love. Songs are like children. Hard for the writer to distinguish what's good and what isn't. I guess that's why collaboration is king. More time. That helps too. Wow, wow. Slow down, egghead. And we get a comment for the quick and the daft. Vinny Corbett says, The Oz from the choir remind me of certain parts of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind soundtrack. If I remember right, Out of the Blue came out the same year as Close Encounters. Uh, you are correct. And now, what I'd love is to see one of our artist friends create a picture of Jeff Lynn with the ELO spaceship behind him, a pile of mashed potatoes in the shape of Devil's Tower sitting in front of him. That might be uh, interesting. Might actually be an interesting album cover for uh, one of his future albums. Actually, it was done before. I went to Tracks and Wax, a really good used record store in Phoenix back in 1987. Well, I mean, the record store's still there. I went in 87. And I found a bootleg album for show for the uh, Out of the Blue Tour. And it sounds like a 1978 bootleg. It really sounds like somebody snuck a tape recorder into their jacket. It sounds muffled. Actually, it sounds like what concerts sound like to me with my ears overloaded. You can hear people talking over it. But it was called Close Encounters of the Orchestral Kind. And it had ELO, just a cheap Xerox paper tape to the album cover. ELO superimposed over the um, Close Encounters poster with that spaceship over the uh, Devil's Tower there. So it's been done. I'm sure the art team, whoever makes album covers in the 21st century, I'm sure even back in 77, could do better. Not just cut out a picture of ELO, tape it to a poster, and Xerox it. <laughs> Mike Hudson said about Point of No Return, This is one of those songs that one day I think it's pretty good, and the next day it's just sort of there. I'm listening to it right now, and it's actually not too bad, in the frame of mind I'm currently in. If I had to guess, this was an outtake from the Zoom sessions, but it's hard to tell on these bonus tracks where their true origins lie. One thing I do like in the song, in the verses, is what to me sounds like a 12-string electric guitar possibly even a Rickenbacker 12-string electric. But I remember hearing Jeff say somewhere that one of his songs that had the sound of a 12-string electric was actually two separate guitars on which he played separate harmony notes in unison, rather than using an actual 12-string electric. Whether it's this song or not, I can't remember, 
It almost sounds too perfect to not be a 12-string electric. And, if it is, it's a rare treat. Because although Jeff has used 12-string acoustic on dozens of songs in the past, we almost never get to hear him play 12-string electric. In fact, you really have to go all the way back to the move and songs like Message from the Country. Or the minister. Tell me a story this time. There ain't no time left to To really hear Jeff playing 12 string electric very often. I think there's a song on Alone in the Universe, or from out of nowhere, that has the 12-string electric sound, but I can't remember which one it is. Maybe that'll come up in the next few months. The dit 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 dits that Jeff's doing in the background in the choruses remind me of a similar thing the Beatles did on their song Girl. I also like the ghostly distant guitar solo in the song. I guess. Overall, it's not a bad song. It's got a few wizards here and there, some spacey echoes here and there, the fake strings and all, plus some good guitar work, and the tom-tom fills and so forth. The strings at the very end make me think of Showdown. Hellbag says, as usual, I have to disagree with you guys about a black and white rule when it comes to re-recording. Favorite example? Del Shannon's 1967 redo of Runaway, parts of which sound like it could fit in a period western. I like the original, and I like this reinterpretation. The difference is that he brought something new to the song. I gave that a listen and where the first one it sounds like a lot of teen pop from the time except a lot better than a lot of teen pop at the time uh, five years later when he re-recorded it it sounds like somebody who's been going around putting posters on lampposts and bugging the police every day with their own investigative clues that they have found to try and find this person I really like that 1967 version. All that desperation and pain and everything, plus that production, and you're right, uh, it has that Spanish guitar in there to give it that Western feel. And if more people, when they did remakes, did it like this, huh, probably wouldn't be as much complaining, but unfortunately, most people, they just re-record it note for note without any feeling at all. Ugh, agree with you about that note-for-note note thing. I had never heard the 1967 version of Runaway until Hellbag brought it up here. 
I think the 1967 music more fits the tone of the lyrics more than the original 1961 one. The 67 one, the music matches the story of a devastated man wandering from town to town looking for his lost love, hoping to rekindle the magic that they had. I like the 1961 version better. It's, I, it's just, it's more rockin', musically anyway. I like it better. I liked them both, but I like the 61 version better. I will give props to Del Shannon for doing it differently instead of doing what, yeah, like you said, like what a lot of people do. Hey, remember the song I did six years ago? Well, here it is again. <laughs> and uh, I shot my mouth off a little too fast about artists remaking their own hits. Rory Orbison did that in 1986 and 87 and released them all on an album called In Dreams, The Greatest Hits, where he remade all of the hits and a lot of the near hits and a lot of the classics that weren't near hits or weren't hits at all. And this may be a crime against humanity, but I like the 80s versions of those songs. Uh, they sound more fuller. Recording technology obviously was much better in the mid-80s than it was in the early 60s. So, yeah, it's going to sound fuller. But, I, I mean, it's just more than that. There's a lot more going on there that I like. I like the 80s version of Running Scared better than the 60s version. For me, I like the big string orchestra on the 80s version instead of the horns orchestra in the 60s version. All at once, we were standing there. I think Ubi Doobie sounds fuller. The original sounds really bare, but you know. It was his first song, it was 1956. Usually the first recording anybody does is pretty bare compared to what they come up with later. Hey baby, jump over here when you do the Ubi Doobie. I just gotta be near Ubi Doobie. It's a toss-up. I like his voice better on the original. But I like the music better on the 80s versions. Another one is Paul McCartney's Silly Love Songs. I like the one he did in 1984 much better than the 1976 original. It's the only good thing that came from that rotten movie. Also, the 84 version has a really kick-ass bass solo.
Electric Light Orchestra. Yellow. Get their ultimate collection. The new album with 38 of their greatest tracks, including 19 top 20 hits. Get ELO. It's the ultimate collection. The hit music station. 105.38 FM ELO Radio with the latest Electric Light Orchestra tribute track from Strongwire with Anthony Longo. Here's Out of the Blue. Much more music. Feeling down and lonely. Rejected inside. It was a night in the city Across the border burning out Blues were playing in my heart Just like the call of the whale Stepping out across the ocean All to no avail You came out of the blue And into my life
in a lifetime, there comes a night so big it eclipses everything that came before it. The Electric Light Orchestra in concert. The big night. The big night. A breathtaking evening of phenomenal energy and live music by ELO. Imagine the stage production so big, you have to experience it to believe it. ELO will take you places you've never dreamed of. On the big night, the Electric Light Orchestra in concert, a jet production. And now, back to Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song by Song Podcast. <laughs> These people donated to the podcast through patreon.com slash ELO pod. Christopher Mainwaring, Rob Eben, Alex Hernandez, Mark Jealous, Diane Hughes, Louis Mendoza, Robert Barry, Roland Leger, Stacy Reed, Silver Wings, David M. Stowe, Dono, the ESO Network, Jill Chenault, Frederick Skog, and James Crow. Very special thank yous to Tracer Anthony for his podcast cover artwork. George Leonberger for voicing the Top 40 DJ, Anthony Longo for his song Out of the Blue, and Stephen St. John for the Dark City Lost Soul music bed you'll hear in the next segment. albums that are officially credited to Jeff Lynne's Electric Light Orchestra. And the question I have is, do we go on from here? Because we didn't do song by song for Electric Light Orchestra t- Part 2, because we decided that the Part 2 edition made it a different band, like it's a spin-off from ELO. So do we cover Jeff Lynne's Electric Light Orchestra, since Jeff Lynne's is stuck onto the name, does that make it a different spin-off band from ELO? Not really, because it's basically the same as Paul Revere and the Raiders featuring Mark Lindsay. Mm-hmm. It's still Paul Revere and the Raiders, it's just that they stuck on Mark Lindsay because Mark Lindsay had an ego. <laughs> and. <laughs> I mean, band membership changes. Yes. And Jeff Lynn was basically one of the founding members of the band. Jeff Lynn, Bev Bevan, and Roy Wood. So Roy Wood decided to leave early on. Jeff and Bev don't get along together anymore. I mean, there are bands out there performing where there are not one original member (laughs) left. And they're still out there. I mean, it's getting to the point where Chicago's almost like that. Mm. Chicago's down to maybe one to two original members of the band. Right. And I think the drummer owns the rights to it, and he doesn't even tour with them anymore. Hmm. So, 
there's a whole bunch of different confusing things having to do with bands and band names and everything else. And in this particular case, I'm completely fine with calling Jeff Lynne's ELO Electric Light Orchestra the same band. I mean, Zoom was released under Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah. And still had the same sound as Jeff Lynne's Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, it does. So I don't think the name really matters that much in this particular case. For me, it does only for alphabetization. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, because this is the question that I've been wrestling with in my mind. I've been hammering home the point throughout this entire podcast that Jeff Lynne is not ELO. Yeah, he plays a lot of stuff. He wrote every song on all the albums that weren't either remakes or the Roy Wood stuff on the first album. The producer, sure, he's responsible for the overall sound because he's twiddling with the knobs and moving the sliders and playing around with the tapes and all that stuff. Yeah, Jeff Lynne was the captain of the ELO ship, but you can't really have a smooth running ship without a crew. And that's Bevan and Tandy, and I understand why Groquette can't be involved with this, but uh, Mike D'Albuquerque is still alive. And he left ELO because his wife said, look, we got a baby. You either stay here, take care of the baby, or you go on tour with your friends in the band. And Mike made the right choice. Stay home, be the dad. Well, that was 1974. I'm sure at this point, his baby is a full-grown adult. And, you know, Mike D'Albuquerque, who's probably still on good terms with Jeff Lynne since he never got involved with ELO Part 2, he could come back. I would consider that ELO. These next two albums, they're not ELO albums to me. They're Jeff Lynne albums. And I know that there are bands out there that don't have all their members, yet they're going out on tour. Colin Hay. I love Colin Hay. I love Men at Work. Earlier this year, he did a, a weekly series where he would play Men at Work song in like his basement studio or something and the, post the video on Facebook. And it was Men at Work Mondays. And he's going out on tour as Men at Work. And the bass drum had a Men at Work logo on the front of it. But to me, it's not Men at Work. Yeah, it, Colin Hayes there, and he was he wrote the bulk of the songs, and you know he's great and everything. But without Stryker, Spicer, Ham, or Rees, it's not Men at Work. Although, I, I, yeah, well, Greg Ham also has a pretty good reason for why he's not involved with Men at Work. It's the same one that Grow Cut has. He's dead, Jeff. And the funny thing is, Electric Light Orchestra Part 2, except for Lynn and Tandy, they had all the members of ELO, yet they're considered an offshoot. Whereas Jeff Lynn's Electric Light Orchestra, it's Jeff Lynn and every once in a while, Richard Tandy, and that's about it. So it's, that's why I'm kind of like, is this ELO or is this Jeff Lynn? Is this an offshoot? If Paul McCartney went out on tour and put out albums as the Beatles without Ringo, who's the last living one, nobody would accept that. Uh, there would be such a huge backlash. Who does Paul McCartney think he is calling himself the Beatles and going out on tour as the Beatles and releasing new albums as the Beatles? Nobody would stand for that. But Jeff Lynne is just him, and he calls his band Electric Light Orchestra. I understand ELO doesn't exactly have the... Uh, carry the historical weight that the Beatles do but I just I, I, I just can't accept this as ELO this is Jeff Lynn solo using the ELO name but on the other hand when he goes touring 
He's got a full touring band. Yes. And even though they're not, except when Tandy occasionally can play with them, it's not the original ELO touring band from the 1970s. And the full touring band from the 1970s didn't always play on the albums no. from the 1970s. Often it was Bevan, Grocut, Tandy, and Lynn, and then Lewis Clark doing the orchestral arrangements. Yeah. So it's very fluid on what a band is. Okay, uh, <laughs> I can make another example here. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> the Residents. Yeah. I'm not going to go too much deep into it because otherwise I am spoiling a lot for people. <laughs> so I'm just going to mention the one person who has said he was a member of the original and just anonymously mention the other ones. Mm -hmm. There is only one member of the original group still as the group because the other original member, Hardy Fox... Uh, admitted to being in the band shortly before he died a few years ago. The other two members that were the originals left in the 1980s because oh. they were more on the financial side of running things than they were on the musical side. Mm -hmm. And they didn't like the fact that the band wasn't making money, which if you ever heard them, you, you, did you really ever think this <laughs> band was going to make money? <laughs> they make more money now than they did then just because music's kind of caught up with them. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, I still consider it, and so does everybody consider it, The Residence. Mm -hmm. Because The Residence was a brand name. Just like Electric Light Orchestra, for the most part, is a brand name. Yeah. So Jeff Lynn's ELO. Jeff Lynn owns the brand. Jeff Lynn can call it ELO. He's actually said that. Yeah, past. no, I know. So the Residence are a brand name, still has the singer. The guitarist has been with them since the 90s. There's another member that's been with them since mid-2000s. They actually say who they are, since they're not original members. Their names are actually known, because it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to hide things in the internet days. Yeah. But as of the full-time band that recorded all the original albums, that band hasn't existed since about 1982. Hmm. So, <laughs> it's been two guys and everybody who collaborates with them and now it's down to one guy and everybody that collaborates with them. And that's basically what ELO is down to is one guy and everybody collaborates with him. Which unfortunately Richard Tandy I wish could collaborate with him more but he is almost about the same state as Hardy Fox was. And I think if there is a tour where you get to see Tandy play, go! <laughs> yeah uh, yeah same thing right now yes just released a new album it does not have an original member left steve howe was their second guitarist he's now yeah. basically the leader of the band he came on on their third album after peter banks their original guitarist who's also long gone chris squire died a few years ago he was basically the one yeah. who owned the name of the band Yes, he was the one member who stayed throughout. John Anderson hasn't played with him in over a decade. Billy Sherwood, who worked with Chris Squire, is their current bass player. Alan White's been in the band since 1973 as their drummer. Jeff Downs, he originally came on in the drama album in 1980. Mm -hmm. So that's where Yes is right now. Yes has even less original members <laughs> than Jeff Lynne's ELO. <laughs> <laughs> and they sound... 
<sighs> Lander. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they sound like a band that really should have ended a long time ago. And occasionally, Jeff Lynne shows some life, so maybe there's some hope there. So we're going on to the albums done by Jeff Lynne's Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> well, that's good, because we already have five episodes recorded as of November 4th for that album. Yeah, and you're not so. getting out of doing the rest of them. I know you don't want to keep going through this and from out of nowhere, but <laughs> we have a duty. We Yes, there's a mission to be finished, and even though I, would, duty. I am looking forward duty. Even though I am looking forward to finishing the podcast and like having weeks off where, ah, I don't have to do that right now. We still got to get through this. I said every song by ELO, released by ELO, and we're going to do that. Even the next two albums. Hopefully, I'll find some gems in there that I actually do like. We'll see. I'm hoping I do too. (laughs) Yeah. But it looks like we're not going to be overburdened with another album because all we're getting for the 50th anniversary are compilations. As of November 4th, maybe? I mean, From Out of Nowhere was released in the middle of November 2018, so maybe these 50th anniversary compilations of songs we already have a lot of copies of are like sort of building up to this 50th anniversary album where I hope to God... Use the touring band. <laughs> Use the touring band, and each song maybe sounds like an era of ELO instead of all of them sounding like 1990 again. We should do something more stimulating. Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meets Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast at patreon.com slash ELO pod. Next week, episode 178, When I Was a Boy. Dit, 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 dit.